welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I am glad to welcome my youngest son to our ministry team. Josh is one of the teaching pastors at Summit Church in Naples, Florida. Now take your Bibles and let's listen to God's Word together. Well, good morning. Welcome to Summit Church. My name is Josh Stewart. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, you guys don't know this, but every time that bumper video comes up, I get really nervous to see if I can run up here in time and like put all my notes out and like set things. So like, whew, I did it, right? I've never not done it, but every week I get nervous. Um, but today I have the awesome privilege to communicate God's word with you today. If you have a Bible, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 11 in um, verses 32 through 40. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. We have ushers who can provide Bibles for you. I know that we don't do that to shame you or embarrass you in any way. We just love God's Word here at Summit Church, and we want everyone to have God's Word in their hands or up on their devices when we are processing through it together. We're going to look at it. We're going to dissect it. We're going to pull it out. We're going to apply it to our lives, and we want you guys to be able to walk alongside with me and and with us as a church body together um, as we look to God's Word. And so Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to be. We're going to be in verses 32 through 38. Um, and before I read that, if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take the Bible that we've given you. Take it home with you as a gift from us um, to you. So this is what it says, Hebrews 11, chapter, I mean, verses 32 down to 40. It goes, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty men in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains of imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect." Let's open up in a word of prayer before we process through that. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for once again for giving me the opportunity to be able to communicate your word to your people today. What a, a humbling privilege it is, Lord. And I even pray is before I even get started, Lord, that the Holy Spirit, you must move in a mighty way today. That my words by themselves have zero power. But your words, O oh Lord, through your word have great power for the hearts and the lives of these people. There's so many in this room, we come in with so many different circumstances. Some of us, great things going on in our lives that we can praise you for and thank you for your provision. And others in our life, Lord, it's a suffer and the, the day-to-day grind is hard and challenging, Lord. And you know exactly where every single person in this room is. Praise that we have a God that is not only sovereign and large and powerful, but that is intimate and concerned about the little details of our lives. And so we pray, Lord, that your word today would speak to people from all over in every season of life that they find themselves in, that they would trust you, God, that they would lean on you, and that your word today would speak truth into their lives, that it would convict them of their sins, that it would lead them to repentance, and that it would encourage them in who they are in you. 
We pray, Lord, for the other amazing churches that we have here in Naples and throughout southwest Florida that are preaching even this morning, Christ crucified. We pray that you would bless every single one of their service, that you would bless every single one of these churches, that they would receive growth spiritually, that they would receive growth numerically, and that you would work in a, in a mighty way within the church to reach the lost people here in Naples. We think of churches like Faith Bible. We think of churches like Covenant Presbyterian, First Baptist, Center Point, and the many other churches, Lord, that are today proclaiming your goodness. Bless them. Do it for your kingdom. And so as we come here today, Lord, we, we humbly come before you knowing that we need you. And we pray, Lord, in the areas of our life that we don't, aren't even aware of our need for you, that you would reveal that to us today. Be honored, be glorified, be lifted high, and let our eyes and our gaze be upon you and you alone. And it's in the awesome, amazing, faithful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. And so we've been in this series um, since August in the entire book of Hebrews. But since January, we've been in Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible because it walks through these men and these women of faith and how God used them, right? The God is a mighty God, but God has chosen to use these individuals as vessels and instruments to do amazing things. And we've walked through it and we've begun to process through these people and look at these individuals and pull out their stories from the Old Testament and that God did great and awesome things through them. And back in January, Dave Harvey did a great message on Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And so the beginning of the book of Hebrews, before he lays out all the people that we've talked about over the last several months, let me remind you of what he says. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Forever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so he throws that out and then he begins to say, well, let's unpack these individuals who by faith please God, that they, they stepped out trusting God when God called them to do something, when he called them to do something that, that seemed even crazy to the human eye, that God called them to step out. They believed him, they trusted him, and they believed that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You have Noah, and Noah built this ark knowing that God said a flood was coming. He believed that God exists and that he reward those who, think, who seek him. We see that Abraham, right? He went to a land, an unknown land, following God. We see that he had a child, him and Sarah, in their late age. We see that he even was asked to sacrifice his son, believing, trusting out in faith that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We saw Moses, and he, he traded away the treasures and the riches of Egypt because he believed there was a greater reward for them. He believed that God was better, that he exists, and that he reward those who seek him. Last week, we talked about Joshua and Rahab, and how Joshua walked around the walls of Jericho, trusting God that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And Rahab, even though she was in a foreign land, trusted in the God of Israel that he exists and that he reward those who seek him. And by faith, these individuals stepped out and God used them to do mighty, mighty things. And what we're going to do is we're closing today in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, not the entire book, but the chapter 11. And what we want to do is we want to take this truth that we see here, the truth that we've seen throughout the entire book, and we want to be able to apply this to our lives. 
Is it how you and I can day to step out and give evidence of our faith in the same way these men and women of the faith of old stepped out trusting God and believing that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That you and I today can step out in faith according to God's word, that we can live a life that is built around faith and our lives can give evidence to the world around us, evidence to ourselves of how great and God is and evidence to the watching world, how amazing and powerful and gracious our God is. This is the great God that we serve, that he chooses to use his people as instruments and vessels of righteousness, which is an awesome thing that our God does. He doesn't have to, but he chooses to. So you and I today can give evidence of our faith in the same way that the people did in the Old Testament. When we place our faith and trust into Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and he moves us and directs our lives according to his will. And so the big idea of the message today is this, is because Jesus is better, our lives give evidence of our faith. That the people we've studied out, that they believe that God was better and their lives gave evidence of their faith. And you and I today, we're going to see how we can give evidence of our faith, that the world around us can see the greatness of our God. And God can use our lives to display his glory and his goodness and his grace when we step out in faith and give evidence of that. And so the question we're going to kind of examine is, how does our life give evidence of our faith? What are some things that you and I can do? How can we do things and say things and act in certain ways and submit our lives a certain way so that God uses it to give evidence to the world around us and even uses it to impact our own lives we're going to see today? And so what we're going to do is just process through this. And there's three points that we're going to look at today. And the first thing we're going to see is that a life of faith, when you step out in faith and trust and follow God, believe that he exists, believe that he rewards those who seek him, it can be a life that is filled with power. And so as the writer of Hebrews is closing um, Hebrews chapter 11, he's mentioned these, these men and women of faith. And then he stops for a second. He goes, man, I haven't gone over all the ones that I could talk about. I could tell you about Samson and about David and about Barak and, and all these people who have done these amazing things according to what God has done, who stepped out in faith. And look at some of the things that these people did. Look at the, the powerful ways that God used them. He lists here in, in verses 32 through 35. He says, some of them conquered kings. Some of them enforced justice. Some of them obtained promises. Some of them stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty men in war, put foreign armies to flight, and even some of the women received back their dead. Like those are amazing things that God accomplished through his people, right? God is receiving all the glory when these things happen. But God accomplished it by their faith. God used these people to conquer kings, to enforce justice, to stop the mouths of lions, to quench fire, to escape the sword. This mighty God is displayed through the faith of the people. And the writer of Hebrews said, I have not even elaborated on all the ones that I could elaborate on. And so this first group of people, like we can get behind that. Like, man, God, use me in mighty ways. Use me to accomplish these things. When I step out in faith, what power is displayed, how your power is displayed through these amazing things, conquering kings, right? Like, man, forcing justice, escaping the sword. But we don't need to to go to just gloss over the second group of people that he mentions here. So by faith, these people did powerful things. And God used them. 
Look at the second group of people who also had faith in God. It says that some of them were tortured and mocked and flogged. Some were imprisoned and stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They were destitute. They were afflicted. They were mistreated. And they wandered in the desert in dens and caves, hiding in mountains because of their faith. See, what what the writer of Hebrews is reminding us today is that God can use his power in our lives in ways that seem like triumph. And he can also use his great power in areas of our lives that seem like defeat or seem like suffering and pain. That both these men and these women in the first group who did amazing triumph things, God used them because of their faith. And the same group of people had just the same amount of faith and they believed that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. But their lives ended in a much different way than the others. What the writer of Hebrews is reminding us today is that God uses our lives in powerful ways in the triumph, but also in the suffering and the pain. I don't want us to misunderstand. He's not saying the first group of people, they had real faith. Look how God rewarded them. And the second group of people, they couldn't really get their act together, so they end up getting sawn in two. They end up getting tortured. They end up having to run for their lives. No, each one of these people had faith that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. But their outcome of their lives were far different. Because God's power is displayed in our lives, in our triumphs, and in our pain and our suffering as well. But I'm pretty confident if I did a poll in this room, right? Like, how many of the people in this room want to be in the first group of people? And how many people in this room want to be in the second group of people? Like, I'm confident 100% of you, right, would say, I want to be with the first group of people. I want to be the person that conquers kings. I want to be the person that, that shoves, shut the mouths of lions. I want to escape the sword. I don't want to be the person that is tortured and is killed by the sword and is on the run the rest of my life. I mean, even in our lives today, like we want to be the person that works hard and moves up in the corporate ladder and gets promotions and moves up high in the company. We don't want to be the person that is looked over for our hard work and never receives the promotion or the pay increase. We want to be the person and the couple that can have abundance amount of kids. We don't want to be the couple that struggles with infertility for years. We don't want to be the person that struggles financially just to get by paycheck to paycheck. And every single one of our gifts to the church is a huge sacrifice. We want to be the people that God blesses abundantly. And we can throw thousands upon thousands of dollars towards missions because he's blessed us that much. We want to be the person that is healthy and live well into our 90s, never experiencing health issues. We don't want to be the person that is plagued with illness year after year or even a terminal illness. When we think about God's power being displayed, we're saying, God, use me in the first group. Use me to show the world your strength and your power through triumph. Don't use me to show the world strength and triumph through hardships and through pain. But we see that our God in many different ways because of his love, because of his grace, because of his sovereignty, and because of his goodness, believe it or not, brings triumphs in our lives and brings suffering and pain in our lives to display his power to us. One of my favorite verses, which I say that a lot because I have a lot of favorite verses, is 1 Thessalonians 4.3. Actually, this verse was given to me in a parenting class in seminary. And the professor said this about having kids. He says, this is the will of God. All right, well, know what the will of God is for your life? This is the will of God, your sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is you becoming more like Jesus. 
or God molding you and shaping you into the image of, your son, of his son, you becoming more holy. So the will of God for your lives, what he said to me is the reason why God has brought kids into your life, the reason why God has brought your spouse into your life is to primarily to sanctify you, to primarily to expose sin in your life, to primarily lead you to repentance in areas that you need to repent and to show you God's strength and his grace and his love and his mercy. He said to us in that room, if you have kids, they're there to sanctify you. But it's not only kids that every single area of our lives, every single place that he places us in, he is using it to mold us and to shape us into the image of his son. That sometimes in our lives, that looks like great triumph. Sometimes in our lives, that's when we get the big promotions, that when God blesses us tremendously, when amazing things happen, God is saying, I'm using this to mold you and to shape you into the image of my son. I'm using this to reveal myself to you so you see my goodness. So you see your, my, your, need, my, your need for me. So you see how much I care for you and I love you. But then often in areas of our lives that God brings pain and he brings suffering and he brings hardships in our lives. And he goes, I'm using this to mold you into the image of my son. I'm using this to reveal your sin. I'm using this to expose your, expose your need for me. I'm using this to display my grace. I'm using this to show my provision. I'm doing this to show you that I am enough. That the will of God for your life is that you're sanctified, that you look more like Jesus. And I think it's important that we understand that because some of you in this room, some of us in this room, including myself, over the last few months have stepped out in faith in big ways because of the sermon series, that God's word has gripped our heart and we've stepped out and done things that are big and we've taken a step of faith, believing that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And when we stepped out in faith, man, our lives got harder, didn't it? way more challenging than we thought. And we're like, wait, God, like, did I mishear you? Like, I didn't think it was going to go this route. Like, my life is more challenging now than it was just a few months ago. Or some of you are living life of faith, and it's consistently hard. And it's consistently challenging. And you're thinking, what is going on? And God could be used in the situation that he's brought you in, the tough times as well as the victories to mold you and to shape you in the image of his son, to give evidence of your faith and to reveal his power to you. This is who I am. I want, he wants to display his strength to you, his love towards you, his grace towards you, his provision towards you, his comfort towards you. And he wants to say, trust me, I'm enough. And the greatest reward that we could ever ask for is that God molds us and shapes us into the image of his son. That is far greater than your your wildest dreams is that you look more like Jesus. So we believe you exist and that you reward those who seek you. Sometimes you're going to do it when we do amazing things. And sometimes you're going to do it when we're triumphant, when we're defeating kings, right? When we're escaping the sword, when we're putting foreign armies to flight. But sometimes God is going to use it in your life when you're getting sawn into Sometimes he's going to use it in your life when you're getting tortured and you're running for your life. You're thinking, what has happened? This is the will of God for you, church, that you be sanctified and look like the image of his son. And so how today is God sanctifying you in the circumstances of your life? How in the victories can you say, God, how are you sanctifying me? And then the sufferings and things that seem like defeat, they're not defeat, but they seem like it. That you say, God, how are you sanctifying me in this moment? How are you molding me into the image of your son? How can you change your posture when you, and ask God, what are you showing me versus why are you doing this? And allow God to mold you and to shape you.
How can you praise God today in the good things that are going on and also in the challenging things that are going on? Because he's shaping you and he's molding you. and He wants to display his power to you during this time in your life. And not only does God want to display his power to you, but he also wants to display his power to the world around you. The second thing we see is that, that we can give evidence of our faith that a life of faith extends grace to an undeserving world. Look what it says starting in verse 7, verse 37 and verse 38. It says that they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And look at verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And so as he's going through talking about the hardship, they've been afflicted, they were in pain, they were getting tortured. He says, and the world was not worthy to experience what they were going through. What one commentary says, commentary says about this, it says that their presence in the world, the people who were suffering, was evidence of itself, of God's grace, of their proclamation to the word of God, to a sinful people who was a greater privilege than people deserved. Meaning when they were suffering, that God's grace was, get, was extending to those around them. That those who saw it, saw God's grace in a way that the writer of Hebrews says they didn't even deserve to see it. They didn't deserve God's grace. People didn't deserve to witness God's grace in the midst of the suffering. In the midst of what they were going through. That God was working in a powerful way, not only in the lives of the people, but in everyone who was watching. And the truth is, is that none of us deserve God's grace. None of us deserve to even to be afflicted for God's grace. But God was just saying to the people that you're our lives. And he's saying to them that your lives matter. Your victories matter. Your defeats or sufferings matter. They matter to God. And God uses that to display to the world around him his grace and his love in a way that we could probably never even possibly imagine on our own. That God is using the things in your life that are hard and the things in your life that, man, they seem so victorious. And he's doing it to display to an undeserving world his love and his grace. What an amazing God that he uses us to do that. Even Jesus talks about this. And in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16, Jesus speaking right, of, of his people. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and give it, excuse me, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And what a statement there. It's you and I, like if you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a light to this world. You're like a city up on a hill. At night, if you see a city on a hill, if you drive through a large city, right? Like you can see it all. Like you're a city that everyone can see. You're a lamp in a room that illuminates the room. That your life as a believer is shining to the world around you, whether you want it to or not. That you're a light to the world and you have the opportunity to display the love, the grace, and the goodness and the power of God by the way that you live your life. That it's displayed to those. And he says, and as your light is displayed, you do good works. So people will not glorify you, but they'll see your good works and they'll go, man, what an amazing God that they must serve. And often when we think about this verse, we think about, man, like I want my good works to shine. 
Like, I want to be the person that helps the old lady cross the street, right? And like, oh, man, what a great person. Like, what good work's there? Like, I want to be a person that, that builds homes for Habitat for Humanity, that people say, man, like, what an awesome person. They're spending their weekends to build homes. Like, we want to be those people that give a, a large portion towards a building fund that people are like, man, like, look at them. Like, they love God. Look at their good works. And all those things are great. And all those things are terrific. And all of those things are ways that we can honor and glorify God. But also our lives can display the grace of God when things are hard and challenging and we still glorify God with our works. When someone's like, you just lost your job. Like how in the world are you still content right now? They say, well, I I trust in God. I believe that he, he exists and that he rewards those who seek him and his plan for my life must be better. He must have a better situation for me. He must have a, a better job for me. So I trust him. And they see your good works, right? And they're like, man, what God did they serve? Or someone says, how are you not retaliating towards that person? They've lied about you. They've shamed your name. They've said these things about you. Like, how in the world are you not retaliating in the same way? If someone said that to me, you know how I would respond? And you say, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to hear those things. But man, my Savior died when I and forgave me. And I wronged him and I sinned against him greatly, far more than this person's ever sinned against me. And if my Savior can extend forgiveness to me, in the same way I can extend forgiveness to this person. Let them see your good works in the good times and in the hard times. And let it be a light that shines to the world larger and greater than you could ever possibly imagine. We don't deserve God's grace. The world doesn't deserve God's grace. But he wants to use you as the vessel to display that grace in the triumphs and in the suffering and in the pain. That was, I'm reading a book, um, part of um, one of the being here as a pastor. We're doing like a preaching school that we're involved with. And it's called Discipling the Flock, A Call to Faithful Shepherding by, by Paul Tagus. And he mentions here about suffering as pastors that we often go through suffering and as people we go through suffering, as believers we go through suffering. And he mentions three aspects of of why he believes that we go through suffering in our lives. And these are comforting for us to hear. As first, he says, suffering leads to deeper, more lasting growth. God can grow us in any season of our lives. But if you've been through much suffering, you know that there's something deep about God's growth toward our growth and our relationship with God during the hard times, isn't there? He can, he can, when things are going well, he can grow you and sanctify you. But often in the hard and challenging times, we see deep lasting growth. We see God in ways that we've maybe never seen him before. He says, suffering helps us comfort others. Paul talks about this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that he's the God of all comfort and he comforts us so that we can comfort other people. When we've experienced hardships, it allows us to rally around, right? The undeserving world sees the grace of God and his power displayed when we comfort them. And lastly, we see suffering keeps us from exalting others. Or excuse me, exalting ourselves. We don't really like to exalt others. But exalting ourselves, right? Like often in our lives that we want to put ourselves and we think, man, we're doing pretty well. Like I've done, look at all these victories. And it's so easy for us, right? When the things are going well, when the kings are being conquered, when we're escaping the sword, when justice is happening, like we're like, man, like look at us. Like look how great we are. And God often puts us down to remind us, no, like I'm a great God. And I can use your life and I can use your triumphs and I can also use your suffering. And we're reminded of our need and our dependency on God. And this is what Paul says in a quote here. He says, for there's no power in our strength, but there is much power in our weakness. God's power. 
made infinitely more visible and glorious against the backdrop of our frail humanity. That God wants to take your weakness to display his power. That God wants to take the hard and the pain that you've experienced in your life, and he wants to use that to extend his grace to an undeserving world. Not only does he want to sanctify you and mold you into the image of his son, but he also wants to take that and to show the world, this is how great God is. Even in suffering, our God is better. Even in suffering, that our God is better and that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I've mentioned before, I have a, a large family, four sisters and a twin brother. Um, and so there's a lot of grandkids. I think there's like 20 grandkids in my family right now. We, we lost count, but they're all over the place. It's great. It's awesome. We, we love kids and God has blessed us a lot. And I have a, a sister who's four sisters, the one that's closest to my age. She's about two years older than me. Um, and she has, she's married and she has a husband named Michael and they have three boys. And back in, um, um, back in late 2015, um, she was pregnant. She was pregnant with, um, a little girl and she went in for her 20 week ultrasound and she found out that her daughter had a condition that she was not going to be able to survive outside of the womb for very long. And so in January of 2016, Brittany gave birth to little sweet Isabella. And for two hours, her heart beat. And then she passed and went to be with the Lord. And as you can imagine, so painful for all of our family, but specifically for Brittany and Michael. And what Brittany has chosen to do, not everyone chooses to do this when they lose a child, but what my sister has chosen to do is she has chosen to use that opportunity, the pain and the suffering, to be vulnerable, but to also to continue to point people to Jesus. When she's having hard days, she'll let you know that she's having a hard day. She'll be open about it. She has three boys, so she often would say, like, man, I, I, don't, I wish I could fix someone's pigtails. Like, I wish I could play dolls. Like, I wish I could do these things, and I long for them. And so she, and she's real, and she's honest, but at the very end, I'm so proud of her. She always points people back to Jesus and to the truth that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There's a picture that was recently painted of her and her family. Uh, that's Brittany and Michael. Oh, I said I wasn't going to cry. So that's Brittany and Michael. Um, that's Logan with the baseball hat on. That's um, Caleb with the soccer ball. That's Jeremiah with the truck. And in her arms um, is sweet Isabella. And this was painted by a friend of hers. Um, and I love what she wrote after um, she, put this, she put this on social media. And this is her, her caption of the photo. Brittany says, words cannot describe my love for this photo. I cannot wait for the day when we'll be reunited with our dear Isabella again. This picture is a beautiful reminder of the hope that we have in Jesus and that all things will be made right. Man, God can do great things in our lives when things are going really well. We have opportunities in the triumphs and in the victories to point people to Jesus. And if you find yourself today, if you find yourself like life is going extremely well, praise God and use those opportunities to point people to Jesus. Point people to Jesus. Use that opportunity to be refined and molded into the image of his son. But how powerful of a life when suffering and pain is displayed and a lost and dying world sees someone says, I've lost my child but let me remind you of the God who will make all things new again. Let me remind you of the God who is better. And one day, 
One day she'll hold Isabella again in a, in a way that is far greater than she could ever hold a child on this earth. And she will point to Jesus and say, it's because of your life, your death, and your resurrection that we can all stand here. One day Jesus will make things right again. And we can hold to the truth of who he is in the midst of the victories and in the midst of the pain and the suffering, knowing that he's using our lives. He desires to use our lives to display his grace to an undeserving world. And so if you today, you find yourself as as the first group of people, like praise God, how is he using your life to display grace to this dying and lost world? And you find yourself in suffering and hardships. How is God using your life to display his grace, to display his truth and his love, and that Jesus is better to a lost and dying world? How can you praise him in whatever circumstances you find yourself today? And how can can God use you in ways to show that he rewards those who seek him, no matter what camp you find yourselves in? So not only do we see that we give evidence of our faith because it's filled with power, that God is using the areas of our life to sanctify us. Not only can we give grace to an undeserving world, but lastly, a life of faith clings to a better provision. Something better awaits us. Look what it says in verse 39 and 40. It says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This so is what God is saying here. What the writer of Hebrews is saying here is that there's something better awaits us, that we have hope. Now, the wording there in the ESV um, can be a little more challenging to understand. So I like the way that the NIV puts it. Um, it's up on your screen. It says, and these were all commended for their faith. Commended means that they bear witness to their faith, that they're testifying to their faith. These men and women that have been talked about. It says, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. And so what he's talking about here is that God used these men and women to do great things. But as they stepped out in faith, God rewarded them, right? Some of them through triumphs and some of them through suffering. But in the midst of that, that they didn't fully receive the greatest reward they could possibly receive. That God caused, you know, walls to fall down and God caused babies to be born and God's called, you know, kingdoms to be established. But when he did these things, those were great, but something greater still awaited them. Their heavenly home still awaited them. And as we live a life of faith, we cling to the truth that we have a better provision, that we have a life that waits us with God for all of eternity. And it's even hinted here throughout the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10 talks about Abraham. And it said that Abraham looked for a city whose builder was God, meaning that Abraham knew something better was coming. That life with God and a city established by God, an eternal heavenly city waited for him. We see talked about in Moses, Hebrews chapter eleven twenty six. 26. Moses considered faith in God a better treasure than all the treasures of Egypt because they knew a reward was coming. And the greatest reward being, being a heavenly home. And then Hebrews eleven sixteen it says the people who died, right? Like they deserved a better heavenly home that awaited them. That you and I, as we step out in faith, that God uses our lives to do powerful things, to sanctify us, to mold us in the image of his son. That God used our lives to display grace to the world around us. And what we cling to in the midst of those, those hardships is that something better awaits us. 
and all those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. With the people of old, with the Old Testament people who placed their faith in God, that all of us together, united, would experience this better home, this better provision that awaits us. And all of this is made possible because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That we are completely dependent on what Christ has done on our behalf. And the beauty of the gospel, the reason why we gather here every Sunday morning, the reason why we gather in community groups throughout the week, the reason why we exist as a church is because Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on our behalf. That Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. He was perfect in all of his ways. I mean, think about that. Like we say that weekly, but think about it. Like he was perfect. He never said anything he shouldn't have done. I mean, he said anything he shouldn't have. He never did anything he was supposed to do and not do. He never thought anything that was sinful. Like Jesus always did what he was supposed to do. And because he was perfect, he didn't deserve the punishment and the separation that you and I deserve because of our sin. And because he was perfect in all of his ways, he didn't deserve to die. He didn't deserve to be separated from the Father. But because of us, because of his great love for us, and because of his obedience to the Father, that he died on our behalf, that he experienced all the wrath, all the judgment, the separation, like all those things that you and I should experience because of our sins, that people will experience because of their sins if they don't trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And he died for our sins, but three days later, he rose from the dead victoriously, conquering conquering sin, conquering death, conquering the enemy. He's saying all those who come to me, who place their faith in me as our Lord and Savior, they will have forgiveness of sins. They will have life with God. They will have a relationship with God that starts now and lasts for all of eternity. And when your life ends on this earth, instead of going to judgment like you deserve, you will be able to experience life in paradise, face to face with the God who created you and made you and saved you. That is the beauty of the gospel. And that's the beauty of what awaits us for all of eternity, that we can experience deep abiding life with God. And so a saying that we say here at Summit is kind of a theological saying. It's the already not yet of our lives. And what we mean by that is we already get the benefits of the cross. We already have our sins forgiven, right? We already have a relationship with God. Like we already can experience these things, but we're limited while on this earth. We live in a sinful world. And so our relationship with God, I mean, it's, it's good and it's satisfying, but it's nothing compared to what's coming. It's nothing to compare to when we walk into eternity, when we, when we experience our God face to face, the relationship with them will not be hindered by sin, right? It won't be hindered by our own stupidity. Like at that moment in our lives, we will see them face to face, removed from sin, removed from the curse of this world, removed from the hardships, removed from the pain, and we will see him fully as he is. And he's an eternal God, so we can never know him fully. So we will always continue to get to know him and know him and know him. Isn't that exciting about God? Like, is that, we're not gonna be a million years into it and be like, well, we've kind of figured you out by now. Like, we will always continually get to know God because he's an infinite God. It's like when you sit down with your spouse, right? You know, those are initial dates, right? You're getting to know them, the sweetness of those dates and you're hearing about their lives and you're hearing about the relationships and how that just, how beautiful that is. Man, that's gonna happen for all of eternity in a deeper, more abounding way than we could ever imagine. And that's the beauty of our God. That's the beauty. So the already, it's happened, but not yet. We haven't fully experienced it. And so as we walk through this earth, and when the highs come, we say, these highs are amazing, but they're not as good as what will be one day. And when the suffering and the pain comes, we say, Lord, I can't wait to the day. There's no more pain, that there's no more suffering. 
There's no more hardships and I can see you and know you fully. Mold me and shape me. Use me to extend your grace to others. But one day, one day, all this will be made new. This is what it says in Revelations 22. This is speaking of the new heavens and the new earth. This is what awaits you if you place your faith and trust in Jesus. This is what awaits you. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The Lamb is speaking of Jesus. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit for each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So we will experience this abundance of fruit new for every season. Like we experience this abundance of water that is flowing, living water that comes from God himself in the healing of the nations. No more pain, no more suffering, complete healing in the presence of God, both physically, both emotionally, like in every way we are healed. And he says, no longer will there be anything accursed. Sin will be completely removed and the effects of sin completely removed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants, this is my favorite part, his servants will worship him and they will see him face to face. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads that we can worship God completely in his presence, like face to face with the God of this universe. Like his name on our foreheads, it means you belong to him. It means that you're his child. It means that you're, you're part of his family, which again, we experience that now, but not fully like we will one day. And then the nighttime, right? The, the darkness, the unknown. The night will be no more. And there'll be no need for a lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Cling to this truth, believer. That one day you will see him in full. You will worship him. You will be his child. More, you are now, but fully realized. And he will embrace you. He will care for you. You can worship him forever and ever. Like that's the beauty of what our God has done for us. That's the beauty of the cross. And that's what waits for us that we can long for and we can anticipate and we can cling to as we go through this world. With all the saints, my prayer is for every single person in this room that you all accept Christ and together we can rejoice and celebrate what God has done. Ben, you guys can come on up as I, as I close out. And so you find yourself in many different situations in your life today. But no matter where you find yourself, are you longing for your heavenly home more than you long for anything else? Are you longing for God to sanctify you and mold you into the image of his son if it means victories? or if it means pain and suffering? And are you using the situations in your life today in order for God to extend his grace to an undeserving world? For some of you in this room, your life is hard and you're going through tough times because you're living in sin or you're making boneheaded decisions, right? Like, let's call that for what it is. And some of you in this room, the call today is to repent of your sins, the call today is to, to turn to the, better, to the better option, to turn to Jesus who is better, the one who, who exists and rewards those who seek him. And so turn to him today. Embrace him today. Yes, there still might be consequences for what you've done, but you will be able to walk side by side with the God of this universe during the hard times and during the suffering. 
And for others in this room, right, you find yourselves in one end, right? God, life's going great. Praise God. How is he using you? But for those who experience hard times and sufferings and things are way more challenging than you thought they would be when you stepped out in faith or even through the Christian life, cling to the truth of what God is doing. He's molding you and shaping you into the image of his son in a powerful way. He's using you to extend grace to a lost and dying world. And you can cling to the fact that he has saved you and redeemed you when you place your faith and trust in him. And that what awaits you is found in Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. No more sin. No more curse. Complete healing. Face to face with the God of this universe. That's the beauty of our great God and King. And so we're going to move to the tables now to take communion. And I love it here at Summit Church that we end doing communion. Because this is an opportunity to respond what Christ has done. Every message is rooted and grounded in what Christ has done. Every message must be understood that this is all made possible because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That our eternity is made possible because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so what we do is we take an opportunity to celebrate what Christ has done, his death and his resurrection on our behalf. And so we have bread down here that represents the body of Christ. And Jesus says, when the um, night before he was crucified, says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took a cup of wine. He says, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Because when you take the bread and when you take of the wine, reminded that I lived and I died and I rose from the dead so all this could be yours so that you could be molded into his image. He did this so you could extend grace to an undeserving world. And he did this so one day you could experience the better provision, life with him that starts today. Or whenever you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, but it lasts for all of eternity. And so what we're going to do is the music plays, there's, there's stations throughout the room that you can go about and take the bread and dip it in the wine. And we also have deacons next to you. If there's someone that you need to pray, someone needs to pray with you. I, listen, I understand when life is hard, sometimes these words can seem empty. It's like, man, I know he's sanctifying me, but I just don't know how. I know he's trying to use my life as a great story. I just don't know how. And it's hard for me to embrace that. Allow the deacons throughout the room, allow Aaron and I as pastors, we're here as well. Come and pray with us. Let us pray for you. Let us come and, and gather around you and, and lift you up and point you to Jesus. Because life is hard and things don't always seem to make sense. So we want to provide that for you as well. And if you're a non-believer today, we ask that you don't, take of the, you don't take of communion because this is a family meal. But instead, we ask that you take Jesus. That you take the God who died for you, who rose from the dead, who exists, and who rewards those who seek him. And the greatest reward you could ever have is a relationship with God. And him molding you and shaping you into the image of son. And using you to impact the world. So come talk to me or Aaron about that or the deacons that are around the room. We would love to talk to you about that as well. And so as the music plays, come up whenever you're ready. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, we're so thankful for this message. We're so thankful for your word, God. Like your word, it, it penetrates it, Lord. And, and you know what you do in my heart throughout the week as I prepare for this, God. You know how you're shaping me and molding me and convicting me of my sin and exposing your truth and encouraging me. Lord, thank you for this, how you've done this in my life, even before I even prepared to preach today. Because your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It can pierce both bone and marrow directly to our hearts, directly to what's going on in our lives. 
And so I pray, Lord, that when they walk out here today, that your words, that Hebrews eleven thirty two 32 through 40 speaks louder than the circumstances of their life, that it speaks louder than the, the, tr- the triumphs that they're experiencing, that it speaks louder than the pain that they're experiencing. And they would rest in the truth that you display your power in multiple ways. And you do it for your glory and you do it for our good. And so, Lord, as we gather, as we walk around, as we take of communion, that we're reminded of who you are and what you've done. And that all of this is made possible only through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. We bring nothing to the table. You bring it all. And we love you and we praise you and we thank you. And it's in the powerful, powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.